Now, you know, I love to bring high level professionals doing amazing things from a career perspective to our podcast. Revenue generation, enhanced customer experience, improved customer attrition, optimizing operational costs. All of this is Aaron Miller's bread and butter. But you know what? So is baseball. Today's episode of Higher Learning is with Aaron Miller. He's the Vice President of Product Management and Customer Experience Strategy at ADT. But did you know he was also a professional baseball player for the MLB? He was drafted 36th overall in the first round by the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Aaron lived and played professionally in the U.S. and abroad. Nowadays, Aaron is known for championing a customer-centric culture to reimagine, launch, and scale solutions across the customer experience journey for ADT. And the story of how he got there is so compelling, I know you're going to love this episode. If you're looking to learn about what this transition might look like and figure out how you go from being a pro sports athlete to someone in corporate America doing amazing things, you've got to listen to this episode. Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I am your host, Oz Rashid, and today we have a very special guest. We're here with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the Vice President of Product Management and Customer Experience Strategy at ADT Security. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to have this conversation. We've had, uh, you know, we've gone out to dinner a couple of times and had a drink or two, and it's always been such great conversations. So it was just a natural fit to get you on the pod. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man. So one of the things that stands out to me, I'm a big sports fan. You're a big sports fan. You have a really unique background, how you got up into the levels of the vice president in corporate America. You didn't go a traditional route though. I, I know that you were, uh, a minor league baseball player for quite a few years. And that, I just think that's one of the most fascinating stories. So I want to start there. Tell us about from when you got drafted and kind of that journey. And then ultimately how you ended up going the corporate America route. Yeah, no, um, it, it's a super uh, fun story. I think for me, I mean, in, in an incredibly blessed story, I'll just start off right there. So to your point, um, Baylor graduate, undergraduate, uh, went there three years, played baseball, got drafted by the Dodgers, spent about six years in the minor league system with the Dodgers. I'd say probably my first couple of years, I was on the actual prospect route. I was like, hey, had a good shot to make it where, where I thought I was going to spend my life in is, is professional athletics and in the MLB. A couple of injuries, just like a, a lot of player stories. And I would say I went from, hey, I got a, I'm a prospect to now I'm just a guy. So I would say I, I was always kind of a pragmatic person. Uh, my mom always instilled in me, Hey, education, 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 I take that away from you. My dad was the athletics guy. So fortunate to spend time on grades and school and stuff like that. So I knew I had an opportunity to, to do something else. Kind of call it right about 2015, went back, uh, to Baylor, um, was actually thinking I was going to go into coaching. I was, I was, I was planning on it. my wife, uh, Nicole at that time was, was gung ho on me coaching, thought that that's what I was going to do. Uh, and then I had an interview at Allstate, uh, uh, of all places, interviewed Allstate, part of a leadership development program, hit it off with uh, kind of the leaders, the executive sponsor as a part of the program, and really just decided to take that route. I thought um, kind of what's leading us to this conversation. I thought, hey, I'm, you know, probably mid-20s at that time. I don't have a whole lot of time to get into, call it corporate America, left. Um, I wanted to stick my foot in the door, moved to Chicago, uh, once in Chicago, you know, had some great advice to uh, get my MBA at Kellogg. So applied there. I was looking on online. I would, I would highly stress uh, good opportunities, go in person, meet people. And so that was the push for me. Got my MBA at Kellogg, post-Kellogg kind of recruiting process. My wife was from here in South Florida. We had a three-month-old at the time. It was actually either going to be South Florida 
uh, as we, we talked about, I grew up in Texas. And so I always wanted to get back to Texas. So a South Florida, Texas, or an athlete's dream in uh, California with Nike, three month old family close by, a uh, great opportunity here at ADT, incredibly fortunate for parents able to step into. So um, took this role and yeah, I mean, you're, we're going on six years now and it's been an incredibly fun journey to, to work my way up in a, in a great organization, a, a caring organization, but uh, call it from, from start go to, to now, that's kind of where we are. Yeah, so I got so much I wanna follow up and ask there. What's interesting is that I actually was going to law school and I got enticed by a leadership development program because I thought I was going to gain a lot of skills that no matter what I did in my life were going to be really applicable. Also, there was a tuition reimbursement program. Um, and so for me, like you get, you, you go in there with the best mindset and then all of a sudden everything turns around your entire vision of going to law school and everything completely changed for me. You had a little bit more direction once you decided to move on from baseball. I want to go back to that real quick though. Now that you've had some time to kind of process your time in the minors, Baseball, Major League Baseball is really unique in that there's just a vast amount of people drafted every year and they go into these single A, double A, triple A um, farm systems. What do you think? Like, it, it sounds like injury, luck and opportunity, obviously talent, you know, mindset, work ethic. All of these things, I think, are, are really important to people who make it and don't. But what would you say is like kind of the core thing to, you know, to people who make it between, you know, single A, double A, triple A, all the way up to the, the show um, versus those who don't? You know, yeah, I mean, you, you hit on a couple of them. I mean, it's just the reality of like, hey, you got to have the right talent. It, interesting, we'll talk about this. There's a lot of parallels, Colin, in the corporate world. You got to have the right talent. You got to have the right skill set to be able to make it to where you want to go. Like people don't don't fail forward. I'll call it that in professional athletics and make it their way to the big leagues. Like you have to prove it day in and day out. And that's one of the great things about baseball. Luck is, is a component. Hey, if you're, you know, behind some some stud Acuna uh there in uh you Atlanta. know there in Atlanta and you're like oh man like I, I either got to get traded or something else because I'm not taking that guy's spot so there's some component of luck but more than anything um like grit perseverance like what I would call uh intangibles there is a certain set of intangibles that if you look at professional athletes um acro across any sport there is a set of skills of commitment, perseverance, grit, learning how to fail, time management. They are their own coaches. Like there is this set of intangibles. I would say, no matter who you are, if you make it to that point in your career from an athletics perspective, like 10 times out of 10, you're going to have those things because that's really what it takes. You have to pair together luck. You have to pair together talent and you have to pair together an unbelievable work ethic that allows you to go day in and day out to get there. So I, I think that's, that would be the perspective. I love that. I'm going to take you back a little bit to when, you know, the, I think you had a second injury and this one was pretty serious. And you were, you know, at this point, you had been in the minors for about five, six years, I think, and made the decision to, to go a different route. Walk us through that a little bit. Though. How, how did you process that? Like, yeah. was that, you know, was that something that was instantaneous? Was it like, did you have in mind if X happens, I'm going to do this? Or was that something that you almost had to come to a realization with? That has to be very tough to be pursuing one direction your entire life and then just coming to a moment where you have to absolutely pivot. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're spot on on all those points. I would say for one kind of in, and probably my wife would tell you this above anybody else, like I follow my gut quite a bit. And so like, I do follow my gut, but I would say I'm a bit of a pragmatic thinker. I'm a very much an internalizer. I think about things a lot. It may look like I'm a little bit rash in the decision-making, but it's something I've been contemplating and think about for some period of time. You bring back up the couple of injuries. I would say that uh, the injury you're referring to a torn abdomen, um, the, the writing was more on the wall. I mean, the reality is if, if I'm looking in 
the mirror. I kind of knew the writing was on the wall. It was kind of the last nail in the coffin. And so in preparing for that, through that, getting healthy, um, in my mind, keeping doors and opportunities open is always a big thing for me. And so I just, I knew there was a ticking clock. I knew there was a ticking clock by a certain amount of time. If I'm not where I need to be, I am confident in myself to go be successful and do something else. And so those are all the kind of internalizing thoughts that were, you know, happening 2012, 13, 14 ish around that time. And then kind of once you start coming back and, and especially like one of the cool things about athletics is you get real time feedback. You go in and you're either throwing a certain miles an hour, you're either hitting or you're not, you're striking out, whatever that may be. Like the game's telling you where you fit day in and day out as to whether you're going to be successful or not. And so I would say kind of all those data points came together, really started to help me formulate like, hey, I might not know exactly what next step is, but I know that that next step's not here uh, in terms of what I'm doing. So preparing for that next next decision was uh, was really where I was at and trying to decide what to do. And listen, a ton of credit to you. You made the pivot. You rocketed up in your professional career to get to the VP level. We like to hire athletes here at MSH because we find that there's a lot of discipline that comes with that. They take, typically take coaching well. Um, is there anything that you would point to kind of in your athletic background overall that you think has been really, really key to your success? I know you mentioned grit earlier. Anything else that kind of stands out to you in you terms know, of being an athlete? Yeah. The, those intangibles, I would say on all those, right? Um, but one, a couple I'd specifically call out, learning how to fail and knowing how to fail. Mm. Um, I mean, you and I talked about this, and, and this is where I say I think what makes the game of baseball even more unique the best players in the world that get paid hundreds of millions of dollars fail 70% of the time. Sure. You make it to the hall of fame by only succeeding 30% of the time. And that is just, it instills in you, Hey, learning how to fail, failing fast, making adjustments and coming back out the next day. Cause also in baseball, like you're playing day in and day out, like you can't wallow and Hey, having an O for four, four strikeout day uh, because you got to come back and play the next day. So that and teaching you how to work through that. And then I would say the other, the second one is like communication, 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 especially in the world of baseball. Again, it is a worldwide sport. I mean, they're, you're playing with teammates that don't speak the same language, grew up in different cultures, work differently. And so spending so much time with folks, you have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to manage emotions. You have to be able to understand how to engage and work as a team even if you're not from the same area, you don't grow up in the same culture, you don't believe in the same things. And so to me, I mean, that's really what we do in a professional career. I mean, it, no matter what you do at the basis, continuing to push through, plan things out and communicate and engage effectively, you can't be successful uh, no matter who you are uh, yeah. in a career without those things. Especially if you're working in a global company too, you know, learning that cultural nuance, learning those differences. But even if you don't, even if you work in a city, we all have differences. We all have, there's all types of diversity and mindsets and things that you come across in your career and your ability to adapt to that, build teamwork and collaboration within that and have success as a group, super, super important. And I didn't even think about that. So I think that is a great call out on your part. Let's talk a little bit about customer experience. Now you went to Kellogg. I think that is one of the top business schools in the country, if not the top one. Um, did you go into customer experience there or was that something that you learned there? Or was that you got into your, uh, all, uh, State Farm and then move, started to move your way through that category? How did you end up getting into customer experience? Yeah, you know, I would say customer experience didn't really become a thing even until I came here to ADT. I would say uh, my time at a, an undergraduate entrepreneurship major come from a family of small business owners. To me, entrepreneurship always meant being able to understand the holistic experience 
both internal, external, how you understand, how you grow a business, how you, how you do those things. As I kind of then moved on to, to ADT, it was kind of, or I'm sorry, Allstate, it was a rotational program. So three kind of different areas, right? Nothing really customer experience focused. I would say customer experience really started to become a thing kind of right about that time when I was at Kellogg, like more broadly, because I think you started to have companies realize that like, hey, spending time focusing on your customer internal out was not always the focus, needed to be external in. Uh, but then coming here to ADT, it was kind of facing just a time of, hey, we didn't even have a customer experience organization at that time. It was a call it customer care, customer service, which people also conflated and mixed the two. But the, the concept here at ADT just kind of hit hold because you had macro environments, you had pricing pressure, you have competitive pressure, things like Simply Safe, and in companies coming out, you had new business, new products. And all of a sudden you have, you, you have to grow a part of the organization that says here needs to be our biggest focus. And so I would say over time, uh, it's not a, I'm going to say a traditional experience or a traditional education. It's just been, Hey, it's stepping in roles and continuing to grow more engaging with the customer, understanding pain points, understanding those things as the environment changes. Um, and really, I would just say experiencing live fire, <laughs> going through that and experiencing is, is kind of helped the evolution up to this point. And I got to correct myself. I said uh, State Farm earlier. I must be thinking about those Patrick Mahomes and Chris Paul commercials just warming into my head. Allstate is what I meant to say. That's really amazing about ADT. And for people that don't know, ADT obviously is a, a security company monitoring, particularly for residential homes. I'm interested. We've talked about this in the past before, but you know, this is an industry that's transforming. This is an industry that's going from you know analog to digital to, to, to transformative innovation and combining with other industries what do you think is really kind of the, the the future of this industry? Where do you see it going and how is that going to impact the customer? It's a, it's a super interesting time and a super fun time to be what I would even call like the foundational level of where this industry is going in the future. All the things that you just mentioned there, I mean, led by what, we, what we're saying here is it's a digital transformation. It is a world that is being changed from you think, you know, all of us back are our mom and dad security system. It was the security system. We're talking perimeter security. You're talking like these big contacts, these ugly contacts. It was more of a functional value that you got from it. Hey, I put contacts on the wall. I put motion detectors. I understand what's going on around my perimeter. Where the world is going is so much more than that. You've started to see some of the things that we've been excited about here at ADT to happen around our Google partnership. When we start to think about the blending of the functional value of security, how we continue to protect people there, but how we also continue to provide value around helping people do things around with video analytics, helping people do things with smart uh, controls within their home. How do you integrate this ecosystem together? Because it, it really is all coming together. You see companies like Amazon and Apple. And I mean, just the reality is people are fighting for the home ecosystem. There is so much engagement, so much opportunity, so much value in meeting a customer's needs in their home ecosystem. Um, and I think here at ADT, we, we feel just as excited about the solution that we can offer and that we can bring as, as a lot of those other folks out there. So it's a fun time to be a part of it. Yeah, listen, beautifully articulated, incredible vision. I love that. I bet people are listening to this. They're excited. Maybe they want to work at a company like ADT. So let's jump into it because I'm passionate about yeah. hiring. I know you've done a lot of hiring throughout your career. I want to hear a little bit about some of your experiences and some of your core principles. So I want to start there. When it comes to hiring, do you have any kind of core philosophies, hiring philosophies that have worked for you throughout your career? Yeah, you know, I'll, um, so <laughs> there's a couple of things. Well, maybe we'll talk about like the hiring practices here in a second, but 
from a core philosophy perspective, I, I would even take it back to what we just kind of talked a little bit about athletics. I mean, and, and this is a broad brush, right? But there's, there's always some form of technical component usually that someone needs to have. I would say is, especially if I move more into the technology world, that in technology, that's, it's more of a prerequisite. Like you have to have a technology component. Sometimes that's easier to grade by experience, by understanding where people come from, what they do, what those roles are, things like that. Um, so I think that's probably a little bit easier thing to check the box. The, the more difficult thing is I, um, I spend a ton of time just focusing on the person. Going back to the two things that we talked about, those intangibles, like what feeling am I getting from you that, hey, what's it when, when we're in the foxhole, when we have to solve a problem, when neither one of us know even a problem that we need to solve, but we just know there's something we need to solve. How the critical ability of how you think, how you break problems down, how you think through a process, to me, those are, that's the essence of what we all do, no matter what in, in our jobs. Those things of how you take problems, you consume them, you break them down into a place that, that people can understand and solve and then communicate about them. I feel super, um, I would say super passionate, but also just, I feel uh, if someone has those things, they are very well equipped to really survive in any role. Some functional expertise on top and then bring those things with you. Like, let's go, let's get ready to roll. Yeah, they, they say you can uh, train aptitude, but not attitude, right? So I think that's that, that's key there. What's interesting to me is that, you know, there there's three levels to this. If you've worked with someone before and been in adversity with them, you got a pretty good gauge of what they're going to be in this new opportunity, new role. Uh, maybe if you know of somebody who's been in adversity with that person and they recommend them, that's maybe a little bit of a, a lesser indicator, but still an indicator of potential success. But my gosh, in an interview, like, what are, you, what are you doing? You're dropping coffee on their lap? Like, how are you figuring out if they can handle adversity? Do you have a favorite question maybe you ask? Or how do you try to determine if somebody, when you get in that fox, when you get in those tough moments, there's somebody that you want to be there right next to? Um, yeah, it's in some ways, it's I, I think it's probably a little bit more of an art than science, unfortunately. Like for me in this in this space, and probably maybe not the right thing to admit, but uh, I would say maybe two things. One, um, I, I tend to ask a lot about failures. Tell me about when you failed. Tell me about what you got out of it. Tell me about your approach. Tell me about what you would have done different. Um, it's easy to talk about, hey, the wins, the bullets on the resume. Like people prepare to talk about those things day in and day out. I want to know about the things that aren't on your resume as much as like, hey, how did you fail? What did you do about it to get you to those places that are successes? Because largely behind each one of those bullets, I would have to expect is a bunch of failures that helped you get to there. So I, I think one, that's what I tend to like, like to talk about. Um, and then two, like just helping understand kind of the critical thinking that someone has in, in somewhat trying to throw people off. Just, I mean, as, as much as that is, uh, throw people off a little bit of kind of maybe talk tracks and things like that to see them react live and what that looks like. And then three, we'll, we'll maybe get to this a little bit. Um, I always ask the question of like, everyone gets presented with the opportunity to step into the void, step into the unknown or not. Give me your perspective on why you why you would or would not step into the void, uh, and help walk me through why you would or would not do it. Um, to me, is a super powerful question uh, because that's a core philosophy that I have internally. I would say probably my team and some of them may listen to this. I think that's one of the things that maybe frustrates them the most about me is I am always the one to step into the void. You give me an opportunity to walk through a door, even more so if nobody knows what's on the other side or how to get it done. Like I'm going to take that step 10 out of 10 times. And, and that's really the kind of people I look for. 
But Aaron, and listen, this goes back to like, you know, obviously coming to the end of your your baseball career and moving into to, to your professional corporate America career, there's a self-confidence and an ability to figure things out or a growth mindset or an ability to, you know what, it doesn't mean I'm going to be great at everything right away. But I think on a long enough timeline, my ability to have learning agility, my ability to adapt and apply, I'm going to be successful longer than that. And that's when you're more comfortable walking into uncertainty, walking into that void. Is that the type of answer you're looking for when you ask that question? It is. Yeah. I mean, I think you uh, psychoanalyze that probably better than I have in my college six years of interviewing prospects. But yeah, I mean, that really what it is. It's a self-confidence as I have been there. I've done that. I've proved it out. And it's it's a, hey, I'm not going to, it's not a, I'm going to say it's maybe a step beyond the fake it till you make it concept. It's like, hey, I may not know it all about it, but like, I, I'm going to commit and know that I'm going to be able to find a way to solve it. I mean, I, I think you probably said it better than I did. I love that. I love that. And and that's a key to success for anybody that we consider an A player that's moved up in their career. Your ability to handle vagueness, ambiguity, learn. I always say, you know, I'm, you know, maybe I, I moved to China and I take a job at a, at a company that's, you know, specializing in nuclear fusion. And I'll be in trouble that first month, two months, three months. But you yeah. better damn believe that after a year, I'm going to know a lot of Mandarin. I'm going to know a lot about nuclear fusion because there's no way I'm not going to figure out a way to make myself an asset and 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 not feel dumb in every meeting I'm in. And so I think there's, you know, I'd like to think that that's something that everybody applies, but I think it, it can be pretty unique and that ability to adapt and overcome. So I think that's a really key thing. And it's definitely something that everybody should be looking for in, in, in interviews. Speaking of interviews, do you have any that are super memorable? Maybe one that you you were interviewing or you were interviewing somebody, any of that come to mind when I ask you that? You know, I, the first thing that comes to mind talking about, like, I, I will say fake it before you make it on this. Like I'll, I'll, I'll take it back. Probably one of my worst interviews, but um, it's just one of those moments that you learn from. I, uh, I feel bad almost admitting this. So I, some context here, professional athletes don't know anything else about the world outside of athletics. Like I'll just generally say it like that. I grew up for call it 25 years. All I did was watch ESPN. I didn't know anything about anything else outside of that. So um, I actually went back to, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, went back to Baylor, uh, finished my degree and then started to hiring at a few places. I didn't recognize most of the names that were a part of it. Uh, one, one role, I'll, I'll keep the consulting name out of it. Uh, I didn't even know what it, like a technical consultant really was. Uh, interviewed for it, talked my way through the first two interviews, um, got to the last one and it was like kind of like call it a paper exam and ended up being like a coding like a coding technical exam. And I opened it up and, and I swear to you, like it was like hieroglyphics on the page. And I was like, the, I was, it was live discussion of like, oh, how would you go about doing this? What were, what were kind of keystrokes, things you do? And it got to a certain point where I was just like, I ended up just drawing pictures. Like I draw pictures like, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for wasting your time. I obviously didn't know what I was getting to and kind of found my way out the exit door. Um, but that, I mean, that would say that's probably my most memorable <laughs> experience of like how poorly an interview could go uh in terms of i gotta stop you right there though i mean here's the deal you got through two rounds with a big consulting company yeah. to get to the point to draw pictures so the fact that you made it through two that's i win. think that's pretty impressive yeah <laughs> yeah that's the win um i can usually maybe talk myself and talk my way through a couple of things but hey that going back to our conversation before there's a certain technical component that you have to have and and, and good thing that the process weeded me out past that um, in terms of positive interviews, you know, I've, I've been incredibly fortunate that 
in the interviews process that I've been, I've been able, it, it's a relationship conversation. I mean, I think the one thing, and I know this about myself, once we get to those, stand, those, those points, once I can talk to you about perseverance, dedication, like if I can get you to that point, if I can get myself to that point in the conversation, I feel very good about my opportunity and my chances to prove to you that I'll have what it takes, that I'll be able to solve the problem and things like that. Um, I would say going back to Allstate, a little bit a part of that, right? I mean, their their process was to go out and hire 18 or uh, call it 20, 21 year olds that are just graduating out of college and things like that. Here comes this like 25, 26 year old who um, has been on the baseball field his whole life, doesn't know much about like, I'm going to call it the business world at all. Um, and that process and all the way up to kind of the senior leadership process in there, I would say just kind of took a little bit of a bet on me and said, hey, we can, we can train the, 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 the other pieces. He, he can grow and understand the business side. Um, it's the, you know, it's the intangibles that kind of brought him. I would say the same thing on my Kellogg experience. Like I, um, I, I was my GMAT, I, I'll say I scraped the floor to get in, to be able to have the right GMAT. And, and it was the conversations of the intangibles, conversations of life experience that, that I was able to utilize to get me really into the room to then be able to, to take next steps from there. I love that uh, you, you know, you're an expert interviewer. I'm going to give a little secret away here. This is also about our, our favorite company, ADT. When I went and, and, and applied and got an interview there in the technology organization back in, I think, 2004, um, I, they were, they were sitting there looking at my resume, which wasn't much at the time. I think I had a barbecue restaurant on there in terms of serving. And they were looking at me like, what are you doing here? Like your background is business and communications and marketing. Like I, we don't see a lot of technology here. And I answered, hey, listen, I think technology is the future. I think this is an important area to get into. I'm a quick learner. And I said something along the lines of, listen, you can hire me to be the janitor. And what I'll do is within six months, you'll have no choice but to promote me into something more valuable because I'm going to provide so much value in that role. So bring me in however you want, and I'm going to show you what I can do. And they must have, I, I was told after I got hired, that was a really good answer to that question and that I, I had something to live up to now that I had been actually brought into the organization. But it just goes to show, like, you know, even though I didn't have a lot, they knew they were hiring somebody young and kind of fresh out of school. Um, but my mindset, uh, my relentlessness, my perfect perseverance, those things stood out. And those were qualities that I think helped me excel. I got promoted three different times as I worked there. So, um, yeah, I, I totally am with you on that. I think there's a way that you can communicate to people that even if you don't have all the fundamental experience they need, there are certain roles where that won't work, right? Like the hieroglyphics test that you took earlier. But I do think <laughs> mindset and attitude can overcome a lot, um, especially if you know how to articulate it. So I love that. I got, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. And the pun is absolutely intended. Do you remember your interview with the Dodgers or any other baseball teams, the things they were asking you? Like, was it, was it like, you know, were they asking about mindset? What were they wanting to know about you? You know, um, so I, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of take you back. Mindset. Yes. I, I would say like the intention of some of those interviews, probably a couple of different areas, understanding your competitiveness. I mean, I think in the end, it's always an interesting space kind of going through the draft process because there's this whole process of like how fast can you throw how far can you hit the ball how you know like there's a what is your eyesight like how do you go through these things to be able to prove out some of the physical side but a big part of that role again is like that's somewhat the easier like the the games tell people those things uh the other part is just to understand your mental capacity so they they do a ton of things around psychoanalysis like i can remember um you know, this, taking all sorts of different tests of like, hey, here's here's memory test. Here's the ability. How, how well can you memorize and move quickly? How well can you process information? Like that's that's where there's a big focus, right? Because there's, if I can process information quickly, 
then I have a good opportunity to set myself up for success as I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to adapt because that really is, that's the game of athletics. Like it doesn't matter how good you are, you always have to be adapting because people are always adapting to you. You throw a fastball on this part of the plate, you don't throw a fastball on that part of the plate again because someone's ready for it. You throw a fast a curveball over here, you hit a ball this way, you hit a ball that way. So it really is a game of adaption. And so I think going back to those conversations like that, if I think about it, I think that's where people's biggest focus was. Hey, competitiveness, let's make sure whenever you hit failure, because everybody does, you're not going to just, you're not going to just shy away. And then how, like, what's your mental capacity for adaption? What's your mental capacity for processing? Because it, it, that's just where the game is. It's, it's you know, 90% mental is what you kind of hear, hear a lot sure. of that say. Yeah. I, I'm just curious now, what would have been the dream team to be drafted by? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I, a Houston Astros fan growing up, still still a fan today. That would have been super cool. Um, it's funny, like, I, I and I will just be, like, super transparent. Once you're going through that process, I don't care who drafts me. <laughs> like, I, I want to get drafted. I want to get drafted as high as I can. I want to make it to the big leagues. Um, you know, that there is a business component to it, right? And just, hey, I want to provide for my family. Give me the opportunity. I don't care if it's Toronto. I don't care if it's Florida. I don't care if it's Texas or Houston. Whoever gives me an opportunity to play, like, I'm going to wear those those colors incredibly proudly. Um, but, I mean, Houston, you know, growing up there in Houston would have been a lot of fun. That's a great, that's a great answer. I love to hear that. And that's probably not a point of view everybody gets to hear, especially on a podcast like this. So I appreciate you sharing it. Um, all right. So let's go back to the hiring. So listen, we've all made misses in hiring, right? So uh, when you, when you made a miss, when you didn't bring in the right person and you look back, is there, is there a theme of something that maybe you missed or a red flag you missed or what comes to mind when you think of make your misses and, and, and what you would have done differently? Um, a couple of things. I, I, the ability to work with an ambiguity. Because I think more than ever, the world that we are living in is changing at such a rapid pace. Like the, the old world of here's the JD, this is what you're going to be doing nine to five the whole time you're here. There's just not a whole lot of roles like that anymore. I mean, I think just the adaptability and the changing, the ambiguity of roles, and I will say, especially within my world, within my organization, within my experience, like I would, I would say here, just my time at ADT, I've held at least three very different roles that would be three completely different job descriptions in the matter of, of six years. Um, the inability to, to, to work through that, uh, the inability to be able to grow within, again, I would just say kind of stepping in the void in that ambiguity, uh, probably point number one. Point number two, um, I'm not a, I, I am not an over your shoulder leader. I expect I'm, you know, kind of going back to the good to great, like the book of getting the right people on the bus. I'm super, super focused on getting the right people on the bus. We will continue to work through and find the right spot. But then there's also an expectation that like, hey, you're a go-getter, you're a leader, you're going to go solve your problems and you're going to go kind of create your own success within what you do. To me, the folks that don't do that, um, it just, it becomes hard. It becomes hard to, um, to continue to manage and continue to lead those people and you start to grow kind of the separation of like, I'm really looking for that kind of go-getter attitude. Um, and if it's not there, it's, it's, it's tough long-term to, to continue to float that. Yeah. I love that. I love good to great. I love the bus analogy. I look at my biggest job as a CEO is getting the right people on the bus and then just making sure they're in the right seats. And there's been some trial and error there. There's been some ups and downs there, but that's ultimately my most important thing I can do for the company to make sure it has success. So great, great, great analogy. Um, now you are a customer experience guy. 
But what about candidate experience? Is there anything unique you do when you're interviewing somebody? Let's say that you got the perfect person in front of you. You know it really early on in the conversation. What are you doing? Are you trying to get them, you know, are you trying to give them a realistic job preview? Are you selling them into the role? Are you, you know, trying to make sure they have a really good experience as you go through the offer process? You know, um, I've seen a lot of actually um, a lot of things around this, maybe something that you've referenced and some other things around, I'm going to call it the overselling of the role. I actually tend to, I, I tend to shy away from that. Like I am, I'm more of a person. If I want to tell you every problem that you're going to face, because I want to make sure going back to the discussion we just had, like, I want to make sure if you take the role, you have eyes wide open of what you're walking into, because I, I don't want to frame this as, Hey, this is something super easy. This is something super cushy. Like quite often, if I've got a role that I'm posting and things like that, it's because there's high expectations for the role. It's not something that can be simply done or simply picked up by someone else. And, and so it is, it's going to be difficult. Like I would say the roles that I post are not like super easy roles. Um, so to one, I, I mean, I would, you asked about candidate experience, I would say that's not the place I go and trying to upsell the role. Uh, to me, it's more about pitching the opportunity and pitching the team. I am incredibly blessed. Um, I've got, I mean, no qualms about it, the best team at ADT. I am incredibly fortunate to have such good leaders, such good people, a part of my team that there is no way uh, I would be able to be sitting here talking to you if it was not for the team that I've been able to, to put around me and, and the things that they do. And so to me, it is much more about you're going to come into a team that's highly collaborative, that's highly engaging, that some of the smartest people in the company that are going to drive you to be better, and we're going to have a ton of fun. And we, I, I stress the amount of fun, the amount of opportunity. We live all live in high-stress environments. Um I am very much a very flat organization person. I'm all about the team. I mean, to me is just, I, I'll, I'll say this. I try and create the good experiences of the locker room. It's about camaraderie. It's about engagement. It's about joking. It's about having fun because we all are committed and we all know the person to the next, to the left and to the right are going to do their job. They're doing the best they can. So let's have fun kind of while we go through. All right. I'm ready to run through a wall for you. I mean, I think your whole team is simultaneously listening to this and they're all blushing right now. Great leadership on your part. I know you mean 100% of every word of it. That's excellent. And then going back to your point about um, not overselling, right? I think that's such a key thing. It's all about fit at the end of the day, right? You've got to know your style, your team style, what's your organization's issues, and you got to be transparent about that. And then you got to be transparent about what's important and what's great, right? And let the person make the decision if those things factor in for them, they weigh in for them, how important they are. So I think you're spot on there. Knowing you're doing yourself and your company a big disservice if you're painting, you know, lipstick on a pig, so to speak, if you're, if you're hiding all the, all the things that could be thorns um, in this person's side once they take the job. Um, last question around hiring. So is there any type of uh, technology that you use? Are you writing down notes on post-its or Excel? Yeah. Like, what do you, what, what do you do to kind of capture information when you're, when you're uh, interviewing? Yeah. Uh, so this, I'll, I'll take it back to like some of my, uh, my first startup hiring days. I always kind of wore this as a little bit of badge of honor. Um, so my first process in hiring was to grab a couple of glasses of wine and start searching through LinkedIn. <laughs> I would actually say there's several folks on my team that are still here today, which that was kind of the process. I would say a bit of, a, of an A-type personality. I wanted to manage some of that. Uh, for me, I, I do have, so there's a, like to do a process where I get kind of call it team. I like to get a bunch of my team involved. So there's a note process. There's a feedback process that I have that we collaborate and talk through some of those things. 
Um, I do take notes. I would actually probably say just from me and you, we're talking right now. I don't, I don't do a whole lot of note taking um, because I, for one, I just, I want the authentic experience. I want to see you. I want you to see me. I want to see your reactions, your body movements. I want to see your facial expressions. I want to see those things because I feel like my gut reaction there is way more valuable than like me jotting down a note and then kind of reviewing that after the fact. I do go down after and I, I, you know, I will try and put down everything on paper that I was feeling or that I was thinking or that I saw or that the answers that came back uh, after the fact. But in the moment, I am, I'm very much a, like you and me, we're talking, remove everything else from the table and, and let's kind of get into this. Yeah, if only there was a company innovating out there around <laughs> AI voice to text transcribing. I think that would be something that'd be game changing. Jackie, write that down. We got to look into that. Um, all right. So I want to move on. I got a couple more questions. We're going to wrap up here. Um, you know, I asked a lot of executives, what's a day in the life in their career? Like, you know, what, what is it like? But, you know, I get the same answer, meeting, 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 meeting. So I want to ask you this in a little bit of a different way. When you go home at night and you felt like, man, I had a good day. It was a productive day. What happened in that day? Oh, it's a great way to great way to phrase it. Um, I got to spend a, for one, I would say probably I got to spend a good amount of time with my team because the, the time with my team, just the way we work, the way we process, that means if we're spending time together, we're moving the needle and we're either moving the needle by problem solving or moving the needle by solutioning where we need to go, road mapping where we need to go. So the days that I get to spend more time with my team are the days that I know we take bigger leaps forward than the days we don't get to spend time together. Um, that's probably point number one. Then point number two is um, I'm, I've been thinking about a lot of problems or opportunities. Like what we would call here and a part of the role is like, give me the problem statement. Just give me the problem statement. Let's not talk solutioning. Let's not talk this. Like, what's the problem? How does the problem relate to where we want to go as a company? Let's, let's then start to box that and brainstorm around what that needs to be. That's a big part of what uh, kind of my role, my team's role is to do and help transcribe problem statements, opportunities from a business perspective into call it the technical components that can help support those. And so anytime I get to spend time there versus kind of going, you know, to your point, meeting after meeting after back, uh, you know, back to back conversations of, of those things. Those are the days that tend to be a lot better days that I feel like, hey, we actually made some momentum today. Love that. Great answer. All right. Share what you can here. Is there anything you're working on that you're super juiced about? That's getting you out of bed, excited, ready to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like everything we're working on is super exciting right now. I think, I mean, that's that's kind of the cool and a scary part is <laughs> like, hey, there's there's not really one thing that's not a significant opportunity to make an impact. Um, kind of going back to our first conversation, I would say it, it we have just a, a, a ton of cool things in the hopper from an from an ADT perspective of where we want to go. Um, and that is really being driven by kind of this digital transformation. And it's, to be super clear, it's both a transformation for our customers, but it's also a transformation for our internal customers, our internal users. When we think about, when we think about ADT, we want you to think about, hey, it's not just great products and great services and great capabilities. It's great people. It's great technicians, super knowledgeable. It's great sales folks, super knowledgeable and able to work through and help me solve my needs. It's great support whenever you call on the phone, know how to solve my problem, they can solve it right away. Or what is even growing to more, it's great technology that helps me solve my issues or address my questions without even having to reach out to folks. 
how we think about self-service, how we think about the ability to say, no matter where you are, you can get your issue solved on your own. Or if you want somebody to help you, they're a call, a click, a text, whatever that may be away. Um, bringing those two worlds together, bringing the world that says, hey, our, our product organization, a bunch of our leaders, and you turn look at the Google relationship and we're talking State Farm, we've got really good partnerships and we've got really cool things going on. And then you bring the service component, the support component, the experience component, and bring those two things together. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, but the roadmap's there, the vision's there. Um, as we start to unfold these things, it's, it's going to be a super fun time. Man, that's exciting. All right. Last question. If you were able to go back to the beginning of your career and offer yourself or anyone early in their career listening as one bit of career advice that you didn't know then, but that you know now, what would it be? Um, I'm, I'm gonna, it's gonna be tough to get it to one. I'm gonna say one, um, like take the opera, keep opportunities open, keep as many opportunities open. Cause if I go back and think about, you know, when I was 16, when I was 18, when I was 21, shoot, when I was 25, I didn't know what I needed to do. Like <laughs> there was no time ever that I was like, you know what? I think being a, you know, leading a product technology organization is, is my fit. I had no clue. So growing skills is way more important than focusing on a specific, call it funnel or role. Skills and skill sets are what get you to be transferable across anything. So focusing on skills, way more important than a specific role to me, always number one. And then number two, step into the void. Um, you know, I, I think I was just fortunate from athletics that that kind of pushed me in, the, in that direction. But if you're ever hesitant, you have way more upside stepping into the void than not. Um, and I think you, you kind of look at like CEOs or people that have been great leaders or people who have made big impacts. They didn't make big impacts because they didn't take risk, because they didn't take chances, because they didn't step into the void. Like that is a constant for, to make, for you to make an impact in this world. And I would just always push people to do that. Stepping into the void. I love that. Listen, this isn't Chavez Ravine. This isn't Dodger Stadium, but you have earned yourself a lot of fans, I think, off of this podcast, my man. If people want to hear more, maybe like a speaking engagement, or if they want to learn more about you, where should we send them? Uh, reach out. I mean, LinkedIn, email, Facebook, whatever whatever you need. Um, I'm always happy to engage. always happy to talk. I love to kind of get out there and get out in the world. I mean, you and I talk, so I will just say maybe a shameless plug here. I do. I I, this year was a year of getting outside my four walls at home, getting more involved in the community, just joined our YMCA board, shout out to, to Jason and that group there, yeah. uh, appreciate that opportunity, um, as well as like at church, getting more involved there, and then getting involved kind of outside the four walls at ADT, continuing to engage with other leaders, engage with other folks. This is my first merry-go-round in a lot of ways, you know, we continue to all learn as we go here, and so having opportunities to engage with other people, speak with other people is, is always something of interest. My brother, you got so much to offer, man. You broaden that impact as much as possible. You're doing great things. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Have a good rest talk, of the day. Talk to you later. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.